0: You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. You know, last week he told us, I'm going to go over the word that he gave us last week. that came through Barbara and uh, Bob, and he said, Did I not tell you I would come again? And I will keep that promise, for I do not lie. What I say I'll do, I will do. For wickedness grows, but do not look at that. Look to me, for I have overcome the wickedness. And you will overcome it too, saith the Lord. Look upon me and trust me and make yourself ready to come with me. And then what came out was, and I also say unto you this day, what seems right to a man is not right at all. It's time for my people to turn around. I want them to face me because there will be a spirit of confusion that will come. And if you do not know who I am in your life and you will think the top is the bottom and the bottom is the top, but I tell you this day, what you think is right is not right at all. Seek me and I will show you the right way. And once you know the right way, you shall not turn from it and it will be so embedded in you you won't be able to run from it. Amen. That's a powerful word. And you know, it's very important that we as God's people understand God's laws, God's principles, um, and, and to obey His commandments. And I think this is why God has me teaching on lawlessness along with the spiritual authority. And to understand spiritual authority... To obey spiritual authority will keep you from the snare of the fowler. As a prophetic church, he's leading, he's teaching, he's equipping. He wants us to understand <laughs> line upon line, precept along precept. You know, I heard this this week. This kind of goes with my message. I've been really uh, just impressed with me and Gloria when she taught on Jonah. It's like we're just running parallel river and what she's teaching. And the name of the message today is, is the highest form of worship is obedience. Um, That in itself is something for you to get in your spirit. That again, the highest form of worship is obedience. You know, many times, um, you know, we think about the greatest thing that Jesus did was give His life for us. That's truth, but we have to realize that what he did is he obeyed the Lord. It was the obedience to God to lay down his life. That is a spiritual authority really summed up in, in all together. Um, I wanted to read this. Jeremiah Johnson is one that um, I follow. But he wrote something that really stood out on Facebook. And I thought, oh, this goes with my message somewhat. So this is what he said. He said, One of the absolute strangest things that I have observed in church circles over the last few years is people who launched themselves into ministry who were never even serving in their local church consistently. Sir, how is God now calling you to plant a church when you have literally sat for years, never served, never sacrificed? the giving records show that you never even tithed or gave any offerings and the attendance record shows that your commitment was sporadic and all over the place but now suddenly you are a pastor or you're calling yourself an apostle and i'm saying this because some of us who are in the prophetic circles are amazed at how many people that we meet that when you start asking them about okay so where do you come from who are you under who have you been associated with and many of them are lone rangers out there all over the place and never been committed anywhere and if you understand spiritual authority that's a question we want to ask we had a man that showed up a couple of weeks ago uh caught bob here one morning and he said he was an evangelist and him and his wife were over at the local hotel and they were going to, um, they'd like to come visit. When do we do prayer? They wanted to come for prayer, but they didn't want to actually come to our service. And so that was a red flag. I mean, some of these things and these principles that we have to understand in these last days, we need to have understanding because that's one of the things you want to question. Who are you connected with? You know, because we're to bloom where we're planted. And all of us know that being underneath leadership Being underneath people, some people that we don't even agree with, what does it do? It works a good work in us. It's a lot of times like John the Baptist is the mohair that's rubbing against us. But God causes that to do what? Because, again, our gifting can bring us places that our character can't keep us. But submission to authority is very important. He goes on to say, he says, "Um, ma'am. How are you able to launch an international women's ministry when you were known to operate in the Jezebel spirit at your church for years and you sow division and gossip locally, but now God has anointed you to go to the nations? This is going on. Young people with a calling to ministry, now has God now called you into a new season when you were never faithful to your pastor in the old season? You never even served him while he answered his calling and now you're mad because he's not blessing you and yours. To those who faithfully served in the local church or to a local body of members, submitted and then, st- and then stepped out when it was your time, Jeremiah says, I applaud you. Your patience, your endurance to a process will give you longevity in ministry. See, a lot of ministries that are birthed doing all these great things but they fizzle out in in, in a short time. To those who launched yourself into ministry without having a prior history of sacrifice and service to the Lord in ministry, you're headed for a rude awakening. Maybe the issue is not controlling leadership, but maybe you have a root of rebellion and pride in your own heart. Ouch. And to those who served and sacrificed, But the church leaders never recognized your call. They were either right, and you have to accept that, or they were wrong, and you must heal to make sure you're not doing ministry to prove them or anyone else wrong. Again, I always say it goes back to the motives of the heart. There's a path, again, that seems right to a man but may lead to destruction. The greatest thing again that Jesus did was obey the Father and go to the cross. I continually find these like Jeremiah Johnson is describing that there are many people that are not in submission to authority and they're lone rangers and they're out there and that is a a snare of the fowler. Too often people leave the very places, the jobs, the churches, the cities where God has planted them because what? They disagree with authorities, they have set over them, or perhaps their lives are stagnant, or they believe there's no future for where they're at. Soon an opportunity comes along, and you know the enemy always sends an opportunity. And even though there's no witness or there's no confirmation of the Holy Spirit to depart, they leave. Not only that, but often the, de- the uh, departure is compromising and compromised purity in which they were walking. They reason, I've been on the shelf too long. I have to do something. Then they end up out of the will of God in the pursuit of what they believe is good for them. They may end up financially a little better off, yet their hearts have long drifted from their God. In more general terms, how many disobey the will of God? I know I have. And so when I teach and preach on this, y'all, I'm preaching to myself. Do you not think I'm looking at my heart? Lord, show me my heart. Perhaps they find a a measure of prosperity or success outside the counsel of God's will and they pursue it and they find fun, they find excitement, they find some happiness for a season and they find find good in what God said no to. I don't know, I've done that. I know rebellion. I was a very rebellious teenager and a young adult. They think God has withheld the uh, fun stuff for them. They think it doesn't, He doesn't understand their needs, or, uh, or He's just, uh, you know, He's just not understanding them and what they need, or He ignores the importance of their desires. So they believe God has answered, uh, has not answered their prayers in their predetermined time frame. Anybody ever have a predetermined time frame? Well, I guess uh, I'm going to have to do it myself. And what do we do? We create an Ishmael. Come on. Yes. Time and time again. But I want you to consider um, Jesus. He was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He had no water, he had no food, no comfort. I'm sure he had hunger pains. I'm sure he was you know, near the place of starvation. But what comes first, the temptation or the provision? (laughs) So what comes first, the temptation or the provision? So Satan had clearly came to question him. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. The enemy was clearly questioning what God had already said. God had already declared Jesus was his son over the river Jordan. So there was no question of that. But Jesus did what? He resisted and he waited for God's provision. He knew his father provided for his needs and he remained submitted to God's authority no matter how unpleasant it was at that moment. I'm telling you, I thank God for maturity. I thank God for the fire. I thank God for the cave. I thank God for all the bad times I've been through because I'm going to tell you, it has produced some good fruit. And I'm going to say to you that God will bring things to you. You don't have to push things open. That in the right season, if you will do right and steward where you're at and continue, he will open a door. He will begin to promote you. He will prosper you. He will put you before leaders, and he will begin to exalt you. But we can't do it out of his timing, and that's the hardest thing we have. Because why? We live in a microwave world. Want it done, we want it done now. That's not how God does things. And again, his ways are higher than our ways. And again, I always love that the foolish things confound the wise. But God's will versus our will, that's the warfare. Come on, that's the warfare. It's a day in and day out. Jesus said of himself, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Obedience, again, is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, which I'm going to hit that hard next week, not this week. i got enough for you today. <laughs> but this is a heavy. It's weighty. But so needed in this hour because of the deception. I don't want to stand before God that I did not teach you principles. So that when the enemy comes in like a flood, when a snare is laid before you, that the Holy Spirit, if I buy the anointing and give the word of God to you and it's planted in your spirit, then the Holy Ghost will bring it up. Remember, ooh, maybe I should wait. Because it's always, the enemy always comes when you're at a weak place, when you've had enough. I mean, he's a bully. I mean, when you think of Satan, you better think he's a bully. He don't care that you're running on hardly any sleep. You just came out of a sickness. You've just gone through financial destruction. He don't care that's a time he's going to hit you and he's going to hit you hard. So, we looked at the parable of the marriage supper week before last with the invited followers where the Lord said, Hey, it's done. Come on. I prepared the supper. Y'all remember that one? But everybody had their own agenda. It was the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God had prepared it, and Jesus was sent to get them. And so what do we remember? One was um, he was too busy over his possession, took precedence over his submission. Another, it was business. It was industry. It was more important than obeying God. The other decided because his wife and marriage was more important than obeying God. Hello, men. <laughs> Hello, men. I can all love women too. Yep. You know, our husbands can be before God. God wants us to do something and our husbands are a God and we'll care more about that man or care more about that woman than obeying God. That is serious. It's idolatry. So it wasn't that these three in adultery or addictions or the big bad sins. We're all, they were all believers and they all had a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But their personal agendas... We're put above God. Lawlessness. The condition of being without laws because of ignorance or because you violated it. Simply put, it means to not submit to the law and authority of God to put your self-will above God's will. I brought up what a disservice we practice within the church when we teach new Christians about greasy grace. So we tell them that all they have to do is repeat the simple sinner's prayer and they have a secured place in heaven. That's a lie. It's a lie. Because again, if you are in love with God and you are born again filled with this Spirit, you're going to serve Him. You're going to obey His commandments. You're going to do what He wants you to do. And to tell them that you can say this sinner's prayer and live like the devil. I even as a child, my parents... They would, you know, talk about God in a way that I just didn't add up to me because they drank, they smoked, they partied, and all you got to do is believe in Jesus and you're going to heaven. But even as a child, there was something that God put in me, this ain't right. This is not right. So again, we have neglected not to put an emphasis on commitment to keep his commandments. This incomplete gospel leads people astray. Again, Jesus said, those who will be in heaven are those who confess and do the will of God. Thus keeping what? The commandments. Remember, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You should see how much we preach that in my house with boys that come in. with cussing fool from Istanbul. I'm telling you, I got some cussing going on. And they know that after they've been a short time with you better not use God's name in vain. Because they see Mama Kim turn over the tables in the temple. Yes. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. There's a spiritual authority. So what's that scripture? So that your days may be long. So that again is even in the commandments about honor thy mother and father. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And thou shalt not covet. That's just ten. Just ten. So again, so sobering, many will say to the Lord, Did I not prophesy? Did I not cast demons out in your name? And what is he going to say? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's scary. That's a very scary thing. Just like the people that were invited to the marriage supper. They thought, hey, I got to go. I got work to do. Hey, my wife, I just got married, you know. That's a scary thing. It's a sobering moment. It's a sobering moment when you really look at truth. Self-will above God's will I hit hard about deception because the number one root cause of deception. When a person hears the word of God, yet does not obey, deception enters his heart and his mind. I'm going to say it again. When a person hears the word of God, yet does not obey, deception enters his heart and mind. And again, what did I say about rebellion? Rebellion is when you make the decision to sin, but you do it and you know there's going to be consequences, but you choose to go ahead and do it because it's worth the consequences. But you know, a lot of times if we go back and we look, hindsight is 2020, 20. How many of us would like to go back and undo some stupid things we did? I mean, all of us, come on, I want to go back and clean up some stuff. And I would have chosen, I'm going to tell you, when you disobey or you rebel, it's going to bring you further away from God. It's going to bring you down a road. And of course, you're going to have a testimony, right? (laughs) Yep. You got to have some war wounds. Hopefully some medals when you come out and you fall on his mercy, right? So, So, this person that's deceived now lives like he's right when he's really wrong. And again, what did I say in the beginning? There is a road that seems right. But it does what? It leads to destruction. The number one root cause for deception is disobedience to divine authority. Think about that. Again, mother and father, I want to tell you, it's important. If you have a history of being disrespectful and not honoring, God gave you that mother and father. He didn't have to place you in that woman's womb. And again, I work with foster children. Who knows better? I know the things they've been through. And they are angry at God. But for whatever reason, I tell them God's going to use you. He's going to raise you up to overcome this. And in this, you're going to be able to minister to those who've been abandoned, those who've been neglected. But God chose it, and you must forgive, and you still must honor them. And that's a hard hard word. But it's a true word because it goes with God's word. So there's a secret force or a power in lawlessness. Again, the power of sin is in the secret. That's one of my favorite things. The power of sin is in the secret. Demons are able to hide and maneuver in the secret. When we bring things to the light, they're exposed. They have to go. So the mystery of the secret power with believers and lawlessness would not be so effective if it was blatant. But you know how the enemy is. He's always crafty. He's always subtle, right? It's a mystery. Because God does not want you ignorant of this mystery or this secret power. He warns us in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Satan is the master of deception. Think of it that he led a third of the angels in an uprising against God in Revelation 12.3-4. That took place in a perfect environment in the very presence of our glorious Lord. Jesus warned that Satan was not only a deceiver, but the very father of it. It began with him. So Jesus also warned us that Satan's delusions and deceptions would become so strong in the latter days that if it were possible, it would fool the very elect. And that's all of us. Why should we be surprised? If he can mislead millions of angels in, in heaven, why would it be difficult to mislead multitudes in this earthly environment of what he's called the prince of the power of the air? And that's Ephesians 2.2. 2. We now live in the very days that Jesus spoke of, so we must examine carefully Paul's passionate plea to the Corinthian church. He says, but I fear... Lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by the craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. And again, it all begins here. Paul compared the vulnerability of believers in the deception of Eve. Without a doubt, one of the devil's most spectacular feats was the deception of Eve. Let's think about her for a minute. She lived again in a perfect environment with her God. She was free from what? Demonic rule? She was free from demonic influence. She'd never been defiled. She wasn't in gossip. She wouldn't be talked about. Um, She'd never offended in any way. Uh, She didn't have any offenses. So that would cause you to rebel in some areas. But there he was. He resorted to what? Subtle cunning tactics to corrupt the purity of her mind. Again, all he's got to get you to do is agree, agree with a lie for truth, and he's already got you. That's the hook. And again, it's usually, again, what? When we're vulnerable, when we're hurt, we're broken, when we're in self pity, you know, we'll be thinking, oh, I deserve so much better. I mean, that's when he comes and he starts saying, Yeah, you're right. And then you think it's your own thought, and it's not. Sometimes it's him. So, recall that Eve was beguiled into disobedience, but I wanna bring home again that Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Okay, that gets you a little comfort women. was all Uh-huh, uh-huh. But again, some of the things that's scary that there are people in the church that are transgressing God's commandments, and they have their eyes fully opened, and, um, and they're not deceived. They're treading on dangerous territory and they are headed for spiritual death. They are hard of heart and they're difficult to reach. Have y'all ever met Christians that are hard-hearted? Out of their mouth just flows bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. As with Eve, ignorance has opened them to deception and the secret power of lawlessness. Ignorance is a breeding ground for deception, God said. Therefore my people have gone into captivity Because they have no knowledge. The revealed knowledge of God's ways and his spiritual laws guard us from the enemy's deception. That's why I know God's given me these messages for you right now. Because if we understand, it will keep us. The Lord is drawn to those who live obediently towards him. If heaven is brass to you, and you feel like you pray and your prayers just come back. If you feel like you're blocked from him then perhaps there's a place that you've been disobeying him. And you need to ask God, show me. Show me where I've disobeyed you. Think about a marriage between a husband and a wife. When it's full of respect, it's full of honor, it's uh, faithfulness. They esteem the other greater than themselves. They put the other's needs, their wants, their desires before their very own. uh, That they're willing to sacrifice for that other person above themselves. Hmm. Hmm. And always before them in their conversation, and their actions, is the person that they love. So they guard, they guard their actions, they guard their conversations. This is a beautiful marriage. This is what it should be with the Lord in our relationships. Again, if we have put other things, people, interest in place of our spouse, our marriage is going to suffer. If we allow this to continue and do not have a course change, we're headed for a train wreck. If we aren't willing to sacrifice our other things, and that could be what? People, interests, for the sake of our spouse, we will grow cold, we will grow hard, we will grow resentful, we will get angry, and before long, we're into idolatry, possibly adultery, covenant breaking, and we're divorced, or we're living in a house divided, not even living together. Remember what I said last week, a little leaven grows the whole lump of dough? Sin lieth at the door. This is the thing. Sin lieth at the door. And um, this scripture was about Cain and Abel. And in the Amplified Version, it says, If you do well believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well to my instructions, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. This whole struggle was that God had the right to ask for what he wanted sacrificed to himself. And he chose, you know, Abel's sacrifice. So God was pleased with the blood sacrifice, but he was not pleased with Cain because Cain gave a sheep of wheat. It's like blood versus vegetable. I don't fully get it, but when we get into heaven. And you would think that Cain, because Cain was a tiller of the earth, the very earth that God had cursed. So you know that was hard work. And so he's out there with the sweat of his brow, bringing God the sheep. So you would think that would be good. And then you've got, you know, Abel, who kills an animal and brings the blood sacrifice. Well, that doesn't take a lot of time, maybe, to kill an animal and bring it to the Lord. I don't know, but I would think the sweating of the brow would be a little harder. But, It's the first act of worship. This again shows the entrance of sin from Adam and Eve's disobedience had entered the first family. We know that God looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. This was something in Cain's motivation and his heart attitude and possibly even in his performance that made his offering unacceptable to God. Again, Genesis 4, 7 states, You will be accepted if you do what is right. Jude 1.11 says, they have taken the way of Cain, a description that refers to a lawless men. Cain disobediently devised his own way of worship. Does not God again, who is to be worshipped, able to choose what is pleasing to him and how he chooses to be worshipped? Cain's offering was acceptable in his own eyes. Cain had perverted God's prescribed form of worship, and his heart was not right. He grew jealous of Abel. Then he nursed his wounded pride. Rather than repent of God's rebuke, he should have repented from from that very moment that he knew he was wrong. What happened? He became angry, he became jealous, and then he murdered his brother. You know, sin is progressive. Sin is progressive. It starts out one way, and it just grows and grows and grows. We need to be quick to repent. Again, the little leaven and sin crouches at the door. It opened and the enemy walks right in. Disobedience, anger, jealousy, then murder. Things could have gone differently if he had sucked it up and repented. I think often, you know, we talk about Solomon, the wisest man, the wisest man in the world. But I want to bring that again because I want you to understand that in Deuteronomy, before Solomon was ever born there was a statute, a commandment that was written, Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 17. The king must not build upon a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses, for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. So what did Solomon do? He went back to Egypt. And not only did he go back to Egypt, he bought... 12,000 horsemen who stationed in the chariot cities. He had actual chariot cities. And it says that he made silver as common in, in Jerusalem as rocks and stones. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Q at a price. He paid, let's see, he paid 600 shekels of silver For a horse and 150 shekels um, through the king's traders. They They were exported to the kings of the Hittites, the kings of Syria. And the scripture tells us now King Solomon loved many foreign women. So what happens next? He disobeys that statute. Loves them horses. And horses were a form of military power. If you had horses, you had military power. God said, don't go back to Egypt. Oh, maybe God didn't mean that. Come on, haven't y'all thought, oh, maybe that's for another time. Maybe he didn't quite mean that. (laughs) I have twisted, I have twisted some things. If I just obeyed, if I just listened. So what happens is, okay, so next, you know, he's got the horses from Egypt. Well, hey, Pharaoh's daughter looks pretty good. (laughs) And so he marries. And we all know about soul ties. So what do we do when we're a person who worships God and we marry? I don't even want to go into those that we marry that God told us not to because they were unequally yoked, da-da-da-da-da. So he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Well, what is Egypt? Egypt is full of idolatry. They worship all kinds of gods. And he gets into a soul tie with her. And before you know it, let's see, then he decides he wants a Moabite woman. And then he wants an Ammonite woman and an Edomite woman. And then he wants a Hittite woman. And so he ends up having all these women. Let's see how many he had. I think he had 700 wives. And then they were all princesses. And then he had 300 concubines. And what happened in the Bible says, and his heart turned away from his God. So again, we believe he knew and was probably instructed by the priest, don't buy those horses, don't go to Egypt. Again, he was the wisest man in the world. So why wouldn't he know that? But somehow, human reasoning above the throne of God, like I said a couple of weeks ago, Human reasoning, I want to tell you, that's where the enemy, the playing ground with Eve, our playing ground is right here. So again, so if you were friends with Cain and Abel and did not know the full story, you would probably be baffled. How could a man who so loved the Lord end up a murderer? And even Solomon building altars of idolatry to false gods. That was witchcraft. Again, what did he do? He rebelled before you know it. He is erecting idol worship and going over into witchcraft. So how could this be? Because he did what? He opened the door of his soul to the law of sin and disobedience. So you know that saying that says give an inch and they'll take a mile? Could that be what that pertains to? Very well could be. It perfectly described the law of disobedience. If you open your life to it just a little, it's like a crack in a dam. The force of the water eventually breaks through like a flood. Haven't you seen those who start out on fire for the things of God? They're active in the church and they're witnessing about Jesus to others. They are like Cain who started out diligently. But in the course of time, the situations arise and it exposes areas of their self-will still within them. How many people have we counseled that are in the bed of fornication and moved their boyfriend in or their girlfriend in and you tell them, hey... You got to stop that. You got to move them out. If you want to go the way of the Lord, before you know it, they've hung up on you and they're no longer coming to you and they huh. Again, what was what was the throne of their heart? Self-will. It could be as with Cain by the way of God's direct authority or by the way of delegated authority. Either way, it always seems to deal with authority and disobedience. <laughs> As they refused to submit their will and persisted in their own way, it's only a matter of time before lawlessness floods their lives. It may not manifest as murder, but it will manifest in some form. Perhaps it's in greed. Perhaps it's in anger. Perhaps it's in uh, unforgiveness or it's in strife or bitterness or gossip, uh, sexual sin or other forms of bondage that grip the flesh. Often in this deceived and offended state, they imagine they are right with God, and all other authorities are extreme, they're legalistic, or they're just out of touch or out of date. That's the Old Testament. God don't really mean that. Human reasoning, again, against the throne of God like Cain when they rebel against God's direct authority they minimize God's authority and the power to a more manageable level and they become irreverent they're growing away from God and they profess his lordship but in reality they serve a Jesus fashioned after their own image oh without being conscious of it. And their hearts have elevated reasoning, again against above the throne and the authority of God. And either way, they're blinded to the truth condition by the deceptions of their own hearts. This is why I continually tell you our hearts are invariably wicked and who can know them? He's the only one. And that's why it's so important to stay before him so he can show us our heart. That's why we have to celebrate that we're a prophetic church uh, that were spirit-led, because again, human reasonings all around us is within us, and we've got to hear from God. We've got to hear. So if you had told Cain when he was a young man, still tender-hearted with God, one day you're going to murder your brother, what do you think he would have said? No way. No way. No way. Oh? Why? And yet later he opened himself up to lawlessness and committed what was unthinkable to him when he was in God. We will all stand before God one day, and we will be judged for lawlessness. Many, like Cain in the beginning, could have never, ever guessed that they would end up in such a destination. I wonder how many people are backslidden, how many people are in prison, and they're wondering, how did I drift so far from God? It all begins in disobedience. The truth is they did not love and embrace truth of being obedient, to stay tender, uh, stay undercover, stay under authority. Only one hope we have is in the mercy of God to open their eyes and our eyes that the light of his truth will dispel the dark shroud of deception. So the purpose of this message is to safeguard us from the master of deception, the power of lawlessness, and expose the light of truth to help those that are ensnared to break free. Look for the place they begin to disobey. Most do not even know they have rebelled in their heart until the truth is exposed. But as with Cain, we will not see truth until we humble ourselves. And again, I say it over and over. Humility plays the most important part in deliverance and to see the deadly consequences of pride. It's in our brokenness and our dependence on Him. He shows up and moves. There is nothing good in us. What is it? Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. So, our dependence upon Him to lead, to teach, to build, to instruct, to protect us is of the utmost importance in this hour. And it will stretch us, it will make us uncomfortable. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle. I've wrestled a lot of wrestling but we must yield to hear and move. And we have even a greater struggle than some because the stronghold over this area is lawlessness. So I want to talk about that. This was a neutral strip in the 1800s. It had no law, no flag, had killers, social outcast, crossing point, hiding place. This area was for the outlaws. Under the Texas Republic, murderers fleeing, American justice crossed the Sabine River. We've got the hanging tree that was on Archul Tree. There was nothing but injustice here. In June of 1856, law enforcement not only broke down completely in Orange County, but was indeed a part of the county's crime-ridden element. So we were corrupt all the way through people gunned down most innocent victims we had more free black families in the whole state of Texas were right here in orange so actually the root was really racial um, unity not division not that the enemy didn't come in and wreck havoc of course he did but we had racial unity where the black families were as prosperous as the white families and they were landowners and they had cattle but Of course, the enemy came in like a flood. So what was rooted here, and let me tell you this, counterfeit money. I'm gonna tell you, if you wanna know about the the Orange, you can pull up on the internet. It's a very interesting city. I mean, a story, it's called the The war, the Mulatto War of 1850, oh yeah. The Orange County War of 1856. Google it, print it off, very interesting. It gives you just a glimpse of the lawlessness within this area. And I want you to understand that, you know, again, I love to teach on land because we're called to come and steward land. We're called to bring God's kingdom into the earth. And there are things that defile land. One of them is innocent bloodshed. Do we not remember? Did not Abel's blood call out to God? Okay, so blood opens up or gives the enemy legal ground. Innocent bloodshed gives our land to the enemy. Injustice also gives our land to the enemy. So we're in a land filled with lawlessness, but I am here to tell you that we live in the better way. We live in the better day. Because you have many people who laid down their life for this area, who have had teams of intercessors, shed many a tears in prayer, and have done the root work, have gone to those places where there have been hanging, where there's been abortion clinics, where there's been death and injustice, and prayed over the land and repented uh, over the land and brought the land back to the way God had brought it. So we are all waiting for revival for Orange County. And we have many great words that have been spoken. But what's the opposite of the lawlessness? The opposite of lawlessness is a place of obedience, a place where we esteem God. It's a fruitful land. It's one that obeys God and loves God. So no wonder the enemy has come in and created lawlessness because what does he do? He comes in to pervert. He comes to keep what God had brought into this land for we're like Abraham We are a generational gifting. And our land is really a fruitful land. I know we haven't seen it, but it's yet to come. And I think that's why Dorothy had the dream of the glory of God being right here. But we had to make a choice. We had to make a choice to sacrifice that we couldn't just just walk into the fire. We had to make the choice to walk into the fire. And so this morning, that's my challenge to all of us is that we have to look at places that were in disobedience. Places that we may have reasoned. Because God says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. It's very easy to steal lie. I mean, it's very easy. And many of us have repented. I hope that we're all walking in holiness. I'm not yet. I mean, you know, our thoughts, I'm having to hold my thoughts captive. I don't know about you people kind of cut you off and and, you know take your parking space you know it's in those private places you really know what's happening here like lord okay i'm gonna put the basket back where it goes you know i even challenge myself in those areas you know come on so but what i heard though through this scripture was by keeping my commandments you prove your love for me so this is exactly seen through the law. So again, most people that hear that, by keeping my commandments, you prove you love me. But the truth is, God already knows whether you love him or not. If you fall in love with God, you will be able to keep his commandments because it's about what relationship? And again, you've got to look at it as a marriage. You love your spouse, what you're going to do, what makes them happy? You're not going to want to displease them. You're not going to want to hurt them. Well, it's the same way it has to be with God. So have you ever heard someone tell you that they love you, but their actions do not line up with their words? Come on. i got a house full. You know? I'm like, I don't want to hear your words. Let me see you clean your room. You know? obey oh, my turn that off. You're not supposed to be on the TV till your chores are done. You know, I hear that I love you all the time. I want actions. And that's why I have an ex-husband who's an ex-husband. His words were just sweet and flattery. His actions were so far away from really loving me. I say the right words. Yes, he does. No, he has the right actions. The right, the right actions. That coffee every morning makes it different. Words are just meaningless. Vaporous. They have no substance. Again, what's our favorite? Actions speak louder than words. So do you remember when you first fell in love? Come on. You do whatever, yeah, but you're still in love, right? You're so full of baloney. I tell y'all all the time he was a salesman, you know, before we married. You do whatever you could to spend every moment with the one that you love. You're willing to do whatever to please him. It was joy to even do it. It didn't matter if it was a sacrifice. You loved him so much you had to do it. This is what Jesus is saying out of an intense love for him. We take delight in fulfilling his desire. When we look at King David, and I'm going to close with this. When we look at King David, he was a man of great passion. I found that David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. He delighted in God's commands. He did not see them as a restraint, but as a bond of his relationship with God. Psalms 119.47 says, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love your testimonies, also are my delight and my counsel. Love produces genuine repentance. I'm going to say that again. Love produces genuine repentance. We got people that want to do renunciations all the time. They just want to recite it, but they're not going to change their actions And they just want to wave a magical wand. And they want to say these things and it's done. No, sir. It has to happen here. Because God, what does God look at? Our heart. Our words can say things, but our heart can be far from God. We can recite anything and not mean it. But again, love produces. So we also remember there was a dark time in David's life. Come on. I mean, don't we as much as God loved David and David loved God, do we not think about Bathsheba on the roof? Do we not see, think about him killing, you know, the, the husband? That was an awesome man. He was an awesome man in his army. And he murdered him. But I want you to know that David's love for God caused him to repent quickly and return when prophet Nathan came to him and corrected him. And that's in 2 Samuel 12, 15. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Both Saul and David confessed they had sinned. Yet Saul was concerned for himself while David understood whose heart that he had disappointed. Unlike Saul, David was not concerned with what his elders or the men thought. He was alone before his God and only cared what his God thought. Knowing he had hurt the heart of God, he would not allow himself to be comforted. He wanted to be reconciled with his God, and that's what stood out above all. So against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So there are times our love is tested also. I want to hit this in closing again. Our love can be tested also when he withdraws his presence from us. Again, he'll never leave us nor will he forsake us. But there are times when he seems far away. And when he does that, we are being tested. What are we being tested in? We're being tested when his presence isn't there. Are we going to stay the course? Are we going to erect a golden calf like the Israelites did? And that's what we're being tested in. So sometimes when you're not feeling the Lord, He's watching. Are you going to be the bride that gets out of the bed and says, where's my bridegroom? I can't feel him. Or God, what have I done? How have I sinned? How have I hurt you? Where have I missed you, God? Are you going to be that passionate bride looking for the bridegroom? Are you going to go shopping or gambling or get into sexual sin? Or are you going to go into the land of disobedience or are you going to erect a golden calf? So in those times when your God is quiet, He's watching because He'll never leave you nor will He forsake you. But He's testing you. Do you love me? Will you stay the course when you don't hear me or you don't feel me? Will you stay and will you worship? Will you still be in my word? Are you going to go off whoring after other gods and disobedience? So I'm going to play a song to end. And during that time... Is a time for you to evaluate your heart. If there's a place that you feel like you've been in disobedience, if there's a place where you think you put your will above God, if you created an Ishmael, we don't, we remember even in David with what he did. And yes, he lost a baby. He lost a baby with Bathsheba, and he went through a really tough time. But did not God give him Solomon? So God is a merciful God, even in our mess ups. He can still make the crooked places straight. He can still raise up those valleys and lower those mountains because he's a merciful God. So I challenge you today, if there are places that you're wayward with him, if there are places that you have done evil and it needs to be corrected, today is a day because, again, God's wanting a people that love him. And, again, what's our heart cry? Lord, don't let me be deceived. Let me be obedient. Let me hear and move. Let me not reason to put human reasoning before your throne. Let me just obey and do. So that what? Our life will be good. And protection and a hedge will be around us. And we will prosper. And when he comes, we'll be ready. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us, follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.